I want to talk to you today about the power of stepping down. The power of stepping down? Yes. I know we live in a world that is all about stepping up. We even challenge our young boys, step up. Stand up for yourself. We challenge our young people, step up your game. Pick up the clothes in your room. <laughs> Pick up your, get your life going in an upward direction. We talk about upward mobility in the corporate world, climbing up the corporate ladder, getting up to the heights of success in a world that is fascinated with the idea of getting upward, the church has a divine calling that is to be willing to step downward. And this is so counter to our culture today. I tend to think that we wanna get up, up, up so badly in life because we are trying to deny the reality that eventually we all go down. You know, none of us are going to not die. We're all headed downward. Like we're going to get there someday. And your body even tells you this, does it not? Like your hair, you don't lose hair. It just relocates to southern portions of the body. Your hair is getting a head start. It's going down. Your body sags and droops. It gets to that point where you go to the gym and no matter what you do, you can't even make muscle happen anymore. Your body sags and droops and hangs and even your skin starts to hang and the skin here hangs down here. It, that's why I have a beard, by the way. If I ever shave this, you're going to see I got a chicken, a little, little rooster neck down here. It's just sagging. Everything starts to sag. Your body is constantly telling you, we're going down there whether you like it or not. And so we are always trying to get up before we go down. But here's the thing about the church and Jesus and the gospel. Here's the thing. We believe that Jesus already came down to our planet. He already walked with us down on this earth. And then he was crucified. He was hung up on a tree. And then he went down into the grave. And then he went down further into the gates of hell. And he took from the devil the keys of hell and death. And he didn't stay down. No, he came back up on the third day. And he said, if you believe in me, you too will rise again. The hope of the Christian is that no matter what happens, we come alive again in Jesus' name. And so because our eternal upward mobility has already been taken care of and sealed as a future reality for us in Christ, we don't have to struggle in this life to worry about our standing and our status anymore. I'm not saying you should be lazy. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to get upwards in life. Of course, but on your way up in the halls of our culture and in our context here in America, please, please understand that the Christian thing is to always be willing to step down into the lowly places. I want to talk to you about this. Step down 
to step up. Let's take a look at the Bible and see what it says here in Acts chapter 6. Would you stand with me together as we read the Word of God? Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at two guys in particular who knew how to step down. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve, <clears throat> that's Jesus' disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Somebody say, serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. A lot of people say, well, why, was it, why weren't they willing to do it? They were willing to do it, but they were the ones who walked and talked with Jesus and saw him alive again. They had a holy responsibility to make that known, and so they delegated these other tasks to the people who were in the church. In verse 5, they were all happy about this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose... <clears throat> Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Stephen and Philip, those are our two guys today. And then they chose these other guys, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. And this is God's word. Let's pray together and ask him to speak to us. Father in heaven, our ultimately true and good Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for how you speak to us and lead us and guide us. And I pray that in these next few moments, we will have an experience with you through your word that will shape us to be people who are willing to step down, people who are willing to step down. Help us to see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in verse 1, in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. I think that a growing church is always going to have some complaints. Just because there's some problems in the church doesn't mean there's necessarily a problem with your church. Sometimes growth brings with the challenges and difficulties that you did not anticipate when you were much smaller. I've been through a lot of growth seasons in our church. We've grown from 20 people to all the people that are coming now to this day. And every step of the way, there was difficulties, there was challenges, but there's always a solution to the problem. Who's the solution? What's the solution? Well, the Bible says in the passage here that the Hellenists were complaining. The Hellenist widows were complaining because they seemed to be overlooked in the daily food distribution. Now, who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists were not a bunch of old ladies named Helen. <laughs> uh, they were Greek-influenced Jewish widows. Hellenism, the Greek influence, brought about by uh, Alexander the Great, who conquered the whole world, brought Greek culture all over the world. Well, most of the Roman Empire was Hellenistic or Greek-influenced in the first century. And so there were some Jewish ladies, they had moved away from Jerusalem, they had built a life for themselves in some Greek city, and then they had come back in their golden years, and this is actually still true today, to die in the Holy Land. There are still many Jews who long to move back to the Holy Land, they want to die there and be buried there. Well, this was the case then. But if your husband died, you were a widow, and you were dependent on the care and the compassion of everybody around you, because there was no welfare, social security system, there was no, nothing like that. And so a widow was one of the most 
most vulnerable kinds of people in the ancient world. And if there is one thing that is true about the message of Jesus, it is this. We got to have a heart for the people who are the most vulnerable. The weakest are the ones who should be on our mind. The Bible says, and it was quoted just a little while ago by Jody, in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, that you visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. The Bible calls God's people to care for the lowliest. And these were Hellenist widows too. So they were kind of outsiders. They were people who were not on the inside of Judaism. They were on the outside of Judaism. And so here's the thing. It is a common practice for every church to care about the people that we're comfortable with instead of the people that are far away from God. And let that never be the case at Waters Church. Can I get a good amen? amen. Let us always be the church that is here for those who are, we say it all the time, what? Not yet here. We want to have a heart for people far from God. Maybe there's some people here today, you're far from God, and maybe you don't even feel like you belong. Maybe you've told people, the day that I walk into a church is the day that the ceiling caves in. We want to tell you that these ceilings are held up by strong girders, and the grace of God is strong enough, too, to hold them up, because there's nobody far away from God that his arm cannot reach out to save. He's able to save the worst among us. I say this all the time, I don't care what you're drinking, smoking, or who you're sleeping with, the power of Jesus can save you and bring you right into the presence of the living God. And our church, and the church, has got to have a heart for people who are far from God. Has anybody got a real stinky sinner in your life? Don't raise your hand. Your job is to love them, not judge them, not look down on them, not tell them that they're bad. Your job is to love them. Why? Because there was a time when you were a real stinky sinner and Jesus loved you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, while we were still weak. Another translation says, while we were still powerless, at the right time Christ died for the who? The ungodly. And the Christian religion is very clear about this. Everybody's ungodly. Everybody is born ungodly. Everybody. There's no one who's righteous. There's none who does what is good naturally. We need our hearts changed. We need to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from that sin nature. Saved from that old carnal way of thinking. That old self-centered mindset. We need salvation. And there was only one person who came and lived a perfect life and then died a death he didn't deserve. And he did that for you and for me and for anyone else who would hear him and receive him. Nobody is beyond the grace of God. So the early church has this problem where outsiders were feeling like outsiders and this was unacceptable. So they said, listen guys, we gotta care for these widows who are not like us. We gotta reach out to them. So they gather the people together and they say, let's have you guys choose some people who will care for these widows. And the job description was, we want you to wait on tables. We want you to wait on tables. 
I imagine that this was a bit of a shock for people to think, what, you need us to do some stuff like that? That seems lowly, that seems small, that seems insignificant. Here we go, this is the opportunity though. This is the opportunity to step down. Step down into serving, step down into the lowly places, step down and put your hands in the dirt and in the muck of life to help other people. And so they came up with seven names and I want you to see the names, let's put them on the screen. They chose Stephen, and they chose Philip, and they chose Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. These are all, and I want you to hear this, all of them are Greek names. Now, where were the problems? The problem was the Greek widows were getting neglected in daily food distribution. So the people chose what kind of people to handle the Greek widow's problem. Greek people. This is very common sense organization. It's kind of a theme for our church as well. And I think it should be the heart of a Christian's life. Here's what I want you to write down first thing in your notes. It's kind of a church theme here. If you see a problem, you be ready to fix it. The Greeks had a problem. They came up with some Greek young men to fix the problem. This is an amazing thing about the world. The world is filled with complainers. The world is filled with people who could talk about how bad everything is. But here's what a Christian does. A Christian doesn't talk about how bad everything is. A Christian says, I'm willing to do something about how bad it is. Do you know why? Because we serve a Savior who did something about how bad it was. We serve a Savior who knew that our number one problem was sin. A Savior who saw us from heaven. Jesus, the eternal Son from eternity past. He saw that our problem separating us from God was sin, and he didn't just complain, and he didn't just look down his nose at us, and he didn't judge us. He came down. He stepped down out of heaven, and he came and died for our sins. Jesus saw the problem, and he did something about the problem. And he said to his disciples, one time they were arguing about who would be the greatest, who would sit on his right, who would sit on his left. And this was James and John, and they were arguing, and they're like, I wanna be on the right, and I wanna be on the left, and I wanna have a place of prominence, and I want a place of importance. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the message. Here's the thing. He says to them, the son of man, even me, Mark 10, 45, even I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is what our Jesus did. He came to serve. And so those who believe in him, we better be ready to step down and step in to serving others. This kind of makes sense to me if this is the Savior that we serve. I don't know what kind of church background you come from, but there are some churches, there are some people, there are some Christians that are all about position, all about power, all about influence and importance. And I've got to tell you, they are disconnected from Jesus because our Savior came to serve. We serve the Savior who serves. We don't serve for importance. We don't serve for recognition. We serve because we have been served. Served by the Son of the living God. Woo! That's amazing to me. And so how come that in some churches it's all about position, because they've lost connection with the reality of who Jesus is. You know, there's two ways to come to church. There's two ways to come to church, and I think about this. They were asked to wait on tables. They were asked to wait on tables. Let me just get this into the light a little bit here. Okay. And... There's two ways to come to church. There's a lot of people, and I think that when you first come to church, you should come to church like this. You absolutely should come to church like this. This is okay. 
at first. I'm ready. What's for dinner? Pastor has a word for me. Amen. Oh, the worship really touched me. Thank you, Lord. Oh, children's ministry for my children. Wonderful. Oh, I get a free grill. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Parking and lots of comfortable seats and good people. And somebody greeted me and made me feel welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I just love Waters Church. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Good. And you should come like this for a little while. But if you stay like this, we're going to get tired of you. We're going to get tired of you because you're not getting the message. You have been served, and at some point, you got to take the bib off. Come on, somebody. And here's what you do. Are you ready? This is so cool. Ooh. How can I serve you? See, what kind of person are you? And I'm not just talking about in the building, and I'm not just talking about in our small group. I'm talking about in life. I'm talking about everywhere you go. I'll tell you something. God does a lot more with this posture in people's lives than this one. At some point, you got to take the bib off and put the towel on and say, I'm ready. It's not serve us, it's serve us. Hallelujah. Why? Because this is what our Savior did for us. And not only did he do that, you know what? Jesus stepped down into our world, and he went even further down. On the night he was betrayed and handed over to be killed, after dinner, the Bible says in John 13, what did he do? He laid aside his outer garments, and he took a towel, and he tied it around his waist, and he poured water in a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around. I want you to think about the fact that there was a moment in human history when the living Son of God was on the ground on his knees in front of guys with dirty, smelly feet and a water basin, and he took their feet and washed them for them as their Savior. This is incredible to me. This is, this is why it can never be about position and power and prestige in the church. This is what our saying, like Jesus did this. I know we think about it, but I wanted to do this illustratively because I wanted you to see that there was a moment that the man who died for you got on his knees and washed the feet of those who were about to run away from him in his darkest hour. And you know what the Bible even says too? It says that Judas was still there. The guy who was ready to betray him and hand him over for money was still at the table and he took Judas's feet and Jesus washed the very feet that were going to take his betrayer to the high priest to sell him out. Whoa! This is why it can never be about me at the church. This is why our church tries and works so hard in so many different ways to make sure that our church is ready for people who are far from God, who are sinning differently than us, who may not even like us and may say bad things about us because we know that if Jesus did for that for us, he can do that for you and there's no one he can't save. And I wonder who here today 
needs to know that this is what Jesus did. And because we know that he's willing to do that, we can trust him. Like what other, what other religious leader does that? <laughs> Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. Buddha was chubby. You've seen the statues. <laughs> he was being served. Even the cult leaders, they're all about themselves. Religious leaders. How many people in the name of religion have used that religion to line their own pockets? Oh, the darkest judgment of eternal hell is reserved for them. Because our Savior, for, because our Father sent his Son to serve, to get down, step down, and wash. And then he said to his disciples, didn't he say this? He said, you don't understand what I'm doing, but you will. And what I do for you, what did he say? You do for others. You do for one another. Be willing to step down. Two guys in the list, they got down. They, they got down to serve tables. They said, we will take care of others. We will not come and be a Christian all about me and my problems and what I want God to do in my life. Like this is coming into the church today more than ever before. Like it's my dream and God is all about me and he wants to make me awesome. And there's some sense of that in the, in the, in the biblical record. But ultimately the way to being awesome is to be willing to serve everybody else awesomely. That's the kingdom's mantra. And so we must be that way. Let me take a look with you at what happens to Stephen and Philip, because here's how their stories go down. Continuing on with Stephen, it says this. Um, Stephen, full of grace, verse 8, and power, was doing great wonders. I mean, he was willing to step down, and before you know it, he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. God takes a guy who's waiting on tables and turns him into a miracle worker, which, by the way, blows away the theological preposition of some people that only the apostles were able to do miracles. No, Stephen wasn't an apostle, he was a deacon. And a deacon is doing miracles and signs and wonders. Then some of them who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, they have a problem with Stephen and they couldn't withstand though, they disputed with him and they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking because Christianity was not popular at this moment. And Stephen starts speaking and they don't like what he's saying and then he preaches this long message in chapter seven, this long message. We won't read the whole thing. But he basically says, listen, you guys have been rejecting every prophet God has ever sent to you and you've rejected his son. And they were mad. And it ends in chapter 7 like this. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed in heaven, saw the glory of God. And Jesus, say the next word, everybody. And Jesus standing. Like this is the only time after the ascension that we see Jesus standing. Every other place it says he's seated at the right hand of God. This is the only time. He's standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And this is as they are about to stone him for speaking the truth. And he dies and Jesus stands up at the right hand side of God because he's ready to welcome in his very first martyr for the faith. I love the fact that when we are willing to step down into the mission of Jesus, Jesus is ready to stand up for us and welcome us into eternal blessings. This is what he honors. This is what he honors. So Stephen dies. And we'll talk about what happens after that in just a moment. But let's take a look, take a look at the next guy, Philip. Because here's what happens with Philip. After Stephen dies, there's this great persecution and the church gets scattered everywhere. 
great persecution breaks out. And in verse 4 of chapter 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down, look at all the words here, went down to the city of Samaria. There's an interesting word, down. Why? Because geographically, Jerusalem is here, and Samaria is here. And so the text says he goes down. But the reason why it says down is because the Samaritans were despised people. They were the outcasts. They were the social misfits of the Jews. Jews hated it. Jews used to pray and thank God that they weren't Samaritans every day. And Philip is willing to go down to the lowly people, and he preaches to them the Christ. And it's an amazing thing, because look what happens in verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention. He gets an audience. You know, people will pay attention to you when you're willing to serve Jesus. God will give you an audience if you're willing to get down and serve. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, in verse 7, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed through Philip. This is a guy who was waiting on tables, and now he's healing the sick and laying hands and seeing miracles done. And it says this, and there was much joy in that city. Later on in the passage, after this great revival breaks out in Samaria, Look what happens next in Philip's life. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And notice the little phrase here, this is a desert place. Now listen, I want you to get this. Philip is in Samaria having a cool revival. People are coming to Christ by the droves. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's preaching the word. Everybody's thinking, whoa, Philip, this guy is the real deal. And God says through an angel, leave. I'll tell you something. I know this firsthand. There is nothing more attractive to a gospel preacher than a revival. Oh, we like it. We like fire, we like the passion, we love people excited, we love big crowds, and we love big movements of God. I mean, we love it. And for God to say to Philip, leave and go to a desert place on a strange road, that was a big sacrifice for Philip, and he does it. He leaves this thriving revival, and he goes down to that desert place. Look what it says. And he rose and went, verse 27, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Do you know what a eunuch is? Do I have to explain this? You know what a eunuch is, right? Yeah. Can't have babies. A man who can't have babies. And uh, they, in the ancient world, many times men were made eunuchs to be what this guy is. Here, here's what he is. A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Do you know why they made them eunuchs? Because they didn't want them to take the treasure for their own family. So they made them eunuchs. So he's caring for her money, Queen Candace of the Ethiopians. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Like, go hang out next to this guy. And so Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. That's from the Old Testament. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And listen to this. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I just thought of this thought right now. If you're willing to get down... God will have great people invite you up. Because this guy's in charge of the whole treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. This guy's an important official. He says, Philip, come on up to my chariot. 
And he explains to them. Look what it says, verse 35. And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them all the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. Let's do it. And he commanded his chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and, they, and he baptized him. Philip steps down and brings salvation to an entirely new people group, the Ethiopians. Because what happens from this story in the Bible is not there. But in church history, we know what goes down. Here's what happens. You want to know? This Ethiopian eunuch who comes to Christ brings the gospel to Ethiopia. And legend or church history has it that he leads the queen of Ethiopia to Christ. Thousands upon thousands get saved because of this guy. And you know he founded a church in Ethiopia. It's still around today. It's called the Egyptian Coptic Church. It's got three million adherents. It's the most persecuted Christian movement in human history. It's right in Egypt. That's why it's persecuted. Three million Christian, Coptic Christians in Egypt. Do you know what they call this? They all trace their spiritual ancestry to this guy. Do you know what they call him? They call him their spiritual father. I told you to remember he was a eunuch. How does a eunuch become a father? Through the Holy Spirit that gives him a message to lead other people into the true and eternal family of Jesus. Three million children alive on the planet today because of Jesus' change in his heart. All because Philip was willing to start here. So I got three points and then I'm done. Don't look at me like that. They're going to be really fast. Now, this message is different because I'm going to summarize what we've talked about with the three points. Number one, I want you to write this down. When I step down to serve, I step up the image of Jesus. When you get over this cultural mantra of me-ism, and you willingly give your rights and privileges up for others, people see Jesus. It's the only way. Paul tells the Philippians, it's in your notes, have this mind in you which is in Christ. Think like Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not consider that something to hold on to. But he uh, emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and being found elected as a man, he came to us. Jesus stepped down. And when we stepped down, we look like him. Number two, when I step down, I step up the legitimacy of the gospel. So you have probably had a few arguments about Jesus with some people. How many know that you never get anybody saved with arguments? <laughs> I've seen many baptisms in this building I've heard many video testimonies. Never once has a baptism video testimony gone like this. I didn't want to be a Christian, but somebody from Waters Church argued me into believing. <laughs> no. You know how it happens? People say it all the time. I came in and I felt loved. I came in and I felt God through the people, the people who were willing to serve 
the people who are willing to park cars in New England. Do <laughs> you know what that means? That means that they get the worst weather all the time. <laughs> it's either 20 below or 100 degrees. And they're out there every week parking you guys in right places so we can fit as many people into this building as possible. They're stepping up the legitimacy of the gospel. And these are not schlubs parking our cars. These are people who own their own businesses. These are people who are executives in big-time companies around this community. And they come in on the weekend and they strap on the vest with the little reflective tape going up and down and the little, you know, air traffic control kind of things there telling you where to... This is amazing. Where does this happen? Where else does, does, does an executive park your car? In the church that bears the name of Jesus because we know he was God and he came down to be with us. We got to do the same. Number three, when I step down to serve, I step into, into God-sized opportunities. When I stepped down to serve, I stepped into God-sized opportunities. So both Philip and Stephen are willing to serve tables. Both of them end up doing miracles. One of them dies really early, Stephen. And while he's dying, there's a guy watching. His name is Paul. Actually, his name is Saul at the time. And he sees Stephen give his life for Jesus, and he actually hates the whole idea. And he decides, I'm going to make sure every Christian ends up like that guy. And he starts to hate on the church. And Jesus comes down and gets a hold of him. Turns him into the Apostle Paul. And we have one-third of the New Testament written by the hands of the Apostle Paul. Because a guy named Stephen was willing to step down, we get the Bible. And then Philip opens the gospel to the Samaritans, the lowly Samaritans who were hated. And then he opens the gospel to the Ethiopians. And he ends his life with four daughters who are given the gift of prophecy. He becomes a mighty dad, a mighty father of the faith. Wow. That's the power of stepping down. You step in, you never know. When you step in to serve, what God is going to do in opening doors for you. The Bible says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he, you don't have to do it. He will. Can you say the last two words, everybody? Exalt you. He's looking for somebody to exalt. But he's not going to exalt people who exalt themselves. He's going to exalt people who humble themselves. Last thing I want you to write down. If you want God's power to step up in your life, be willing to step down into the needs of others. For some of you, this is foster care. For some of you, this is opening your home to a small group. For some of you, this is nothing to do with Waters Church. For some of you, this is inviting the guy at your office who's belligerent and anti-Jesus over to barbecue. Not to argue him into the faith, but just to love him in Jesus' name. This is the gospel that we proclaim. This is not religion. This is Christianity, and it changes the world.